Our first reading comes to us this morning from the book of Isaiah. So Isaiah chapter 52, verses 7 through to 15. So that's Isaiah 52, verses 7 to 15. How beautiful on the mountains are the feet of those who bring good news, who proclaim peace, who bring good tidings, who proclaim salvation, who say to Zion, your God reigns. Listen, you watchmen, lift up your voices. Together they shout for joy. When the Lord returns to Zion, they will see it with their own eyes and burst into songs of joy together, you, you ruins of Jerusalem, for the Lord has comforted his people. He has redeemed Jerusalem. The Lord will lay bare his holy arm in the sight of all the nations, and all the ends of the earth will see the salvation of our God. Depart, depart, go out from there, touch no unclean thing. Come out from it and be pure, you who carry the articles of the Lord's house. But you will not leave in haste, nor go in flight, for the Lord will go before you. The God of Israel will be your rear guard. See, my servant will act wisely. He will be raised up and be lifted up and highly exalted. Just as there were many who were appalled at him, his appearance was so disfigured beyond that of any human being, his form marred beyond human likeness, so he will sprinkle many nations and kings will shut their mouths because of him. For what they were not told, they will see, and what they have not heard, they will understand. This is the word of the Lord. The second Bible reading is from Romans chapter 15. Verses 14 to 33. I myself am convinced, my brothers and sisters, that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with knowledge and competent to instruct one another. Yet I have written you quite boldly on some points to remind you of them again, because of the grace God gave me to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles. He gave me the priestly duty of proclaiming the gospel of God so that the Gentiles might become an offering acceptable to God, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. Therefore, I glory in Christ Jesus in my service to God. I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me in leading the Gentiles to obey God by what I have said and done by the power of signs and wonders, through the power of the Spirit of God. So from Jerusalem, all the way around to Elycrium, I have fully proclaimed the gospel of Christ. It has always been my ambition to preach the gospel where Christ was not known, so that I would not be building on someone else's foundation. Rather, as it is written, those who were not told about him will see, and those who have not heard will understand. This is why I have often been hindered from coming to you. But now that there is no more place for me to work in these regions, and since I have been longing for so many years to visit you, I plan to do so when I go to Spain. I hope to see you while passing through and have you assist me on my journey there, after I have enjoyed your company for a while. Now, however, 
I am on my way to Jerusalem in the service of the Lord's people there. For Macedonia and Achaia were pleased to make a contribution for the poor among the Lord's people in Jerusalem. They were pleased to do it, and indeed they owe it to them. For if the Gentiles have shared in the Jews' spiritual blessings, they owe it to the Jews to share with them their material blessings. So after I have completed this task and have made sure that they have received this contribution, I will go to Spain and visit you on the way. I know that when I come to you, I will come in the full measure of the blessing of Christ. I urge you, brothers and sisters, by our Lord Jesus Christ and by the love of the Spirit, to join me in my struggle by praying for me. Pray that I may be kept safe from the unbelievers in Judea and the contribution I take to Jerusalem may be favourably received by the Lord's people there so that I may come to you with joy by God's will and in your company be refreshed. The God of peace be with you all. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, good morning. Welcome, welcome to church. Do you wonder what it is that we are doing here at church? What should we be on about? Is your view of church just a little bit too small? Is it really just something to help you to be motivated throughout the rest of the week where you try to live with your head down and be nice to those around you? I remember when World of Warcraft was a thing, right? This was a very popular game. At its peak, 46 million people would play this game simultaneously. Apparently more than 116 million people have played this game. I didn't because I was too cheap. It was a monthly subscription. But most of my friends did. And I remember we were talking about why is it so successful? Someone said... It's because people want to feel part of something bigger than themselves. It's why people go for sporting teams. They can belong to a group and they can cheer along something and feel somehow connected to the wins and the losses and the community. There's excitement in that, which helps with the drudgery of life. Today, I hope we'll get a glimpse of church, not just as an event in your weekly timetable, but something that you can really invest in and be part of something bigger than yourself, something bigger than the pandemic. In our passage, Paul is wrapping up his letter here, and as we head into the holidays, this letter changes style a little bit. As Paul wraps up his letter, this gets a bit personal. We've mostly been looking at the oughts and the shoulds of the Christian life. We've had teaching on how we should consider ourselves in Christ and how we ought to live. But now we get to look at the realistic. How is it all lived out? We kind of get to pull back the curtain a bit and see how gospel churches were working in the real world back then. 
Paul has talked a lot about unity and generosity and love. He's harped on about the power of the gospel that brings salvation. But it's one thing to talk about that. It's another to see it working, not as an analogy, not as a metaphor, but in real life. So at the end of this letter, we see the personal and the real life of how Paul is seeking to live out all that we have just read in the letter. This perhaps could be quite instructional on how we might prioritise and focus things in our church today. So today in this section, we'll look at Paul's proclamation, Paul's plans, and uh, Paul's prayer. And then we'll move on to us. I do worry that this could turn into be a very interesting talk about Paul and him and what he got up to, but hopefully we'll connect the dots to us and look at our role in the mission of the church. But first I'll pray. Heavenly Father, please help me to speak clearly. Help me to speak from your word. I pray, Lord, that you will help us to fix our eyes on you, that we'll see how big and glorious you are, and that we'll be on about promoting your son to the whole world. Amen. So first up, Paul talks about his duty and ambition to proclaim the gospel. He does this so that the Gentiles may hear it and be an offering to God through the power of the Holy Spirit. Paul was convinced that the gospel is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes. Telling people about Jesus and seeing their lives changed excites him. This was his goal in life. And that's what he sacrificed pretty much everything to do, to tell people about Jesus. And not just anyone, but the Gentiles, those who have never heard or never had a chance to hear about Jesus in the first place. In verse 20, Paul says, It has always been my ambition to preach the gospel where Christ was not known so that I would not be building on someone else's foundation." Paul was a pioneer. He would walk into a town, preach Christ in the synagogue until he got kicked out, and then he would go next door and preach to the Gentiles. He would be looking out for those whom God would call, and then he would build a church around those folk. Paul was utterly convinced that speaking the gospel has the power to change lives. And I hope you do too. I hope that you can say that some point in the past, your life was heading one direction, but then you heard the gospel and now it's going another direction. I hope that you can say that you've heard about how Jesus has took, taken everything that separates you from Christ and has adopted you into God's family, that you are no longer a slave to sin, that you now have confidence that God is with you, and that after death, when face judgment, you will not be declared guilty, even though you have done wrong. But because Jesus was your substitute, he died in your place, that you will be seen as right before God. And like Jesus, you will get a resurrected body 
and be with him forever. I hope you can say that. I hope you know that. I hope you have experienced that. Conversion isn't about being nice. It's about being a new creation. It's not about being sincere. It's about salvation in Christ. It's not about a one-off decision you have made, but it's a life lived out as a disciple of Jesus. Paul has seen firsthand the gospel set out loud to people and then seen their whole lives change. People were worshipping idols and now they change to be worshipping Jesus as Lord. And this got Paul hooked. He wanted to see as many lives changed, not so that he had some great stat on some conversion board, scoreboard, but he wanted people to worship the one true Lord. That was his mission, to extend the worship of Jesus globally. And so he writes and writes again about his goal and plans to do this more. And so with that in mind, we see Paul's plans, what they were with the Roman church. Paul thought everything to the east of Italy has now had access to hear Jesus. He makes this crazy statement in verse 19. So from Jerusalem all the way to Illicrum, I have fully proclaimed the gospel of Christ. Big words. Is that true? I don't know if you have a map in the back of your Bibles, you might see something like this with all these little lines. You can see where Paul has traveled. He hasn't gone everywhere. He hasn't spoken to all people in all towns in that whole area. But what he has done is he's preached to the major cities such as Antioch, Corinth, Ephesus, Philippi. And in Paul's mind, there are now churches springing up around this side of Italy but there aren't many to the west of Rome. And so that Paul isn't treading on anyone else's toes, so that Paul can preach to those who haven't heard, he seeks to go to the other side of Italy, to the west, and to go to Spain. He's doing a reverse Jonah. He wants to go all the way to Tarshish, not to avoid God, but to bring God to those people. But first, Paul has one more plan. He wants to go in the opposite direction. He wants to head to Jerusalem first. This may seem like a bit of a terrible plan, especially since he considered himself the apostle to the Gentiles, yet he's going to Jerusalem, the Mecca of Jews. Why would he want to do that? What's so important there? There were Christian Jews in Jerusalem who were doing it tough. There was a famine in Palestine from 46 to 48 AD. And Paul had been on a bit of an aid collection tour, going around Gentile churches, collecting money for them. And so in bringing this money to help those people in need, first off, it was just a great and kind, loving thing to do. But secondly, on a bigger scale... This was showing unity between the Jews and the Gentiles in Christ. It showed a common partnership in the gospel. This act of the Gentiles giving money to the impoverished Jewish Christians demonstrated a bunch of things that Paul has been going on about in this letter. 
generosity, paying back a debt of love, unity among believers, using what we have not for ourselves but for others. This aid campaign was a demonstration of the gospel, of the reality of what Paul has been writing about. Here, literally, the church is putting its money where its mouth is and showing the world that it does care, that it does love, and at great cost to itself, just like Jesus. So the plan was that after this collection had been given to Jerusalem, Paul was then going to visit them in Rome. But that wasn't his final destination either. Rome wasn't Paul's end goal. He wanted to go to Spain. I don't know how ripped off the people in Rome felt. They get this big, long letter from the Apostle Paul. And then at the end, they say he just wants to pass through to go somewhere else. They probably didn't feel ripped off. I know at St. Matt's, we don't feel ripped off when we have a visiting missionary come to us. It's actually exciting and encouraging that they do come and pass through. They come and tell us stories from where they have been. They talk about what they're planning to do. And we feel this connection, a belonging, a unity of going, a sense of going along with them with our support. We see how far the mission of Jesus is around the world. And it's helpful because sometimes we forget there's a whole world out there beyond our community. And Paul may have been looking for a new missionary base to head out west and thought the Roman church could help. And I reckon they probably felt pretty stoked about that. But at the end of this little bit of our passage, Paul asks for prayer. In verse 31, he asks for two things. Pray that I might be kept safe from the unbelievers in Judea and that the contribution I take to Jerusalem may be favorably received by the Lord's people there. Paul wants protection from unbelievers and for this collection to be well received so that he can come to them with joy. He knows Jerusalem is going to be hard. Will the Jewish Christians accept the collection? Will they be too proud to take Gentile money? Paul also knows there will be opposition there. He, after all, was once the opposition there. But still, he seeks to resolutely set his face towards Jerusalem, even if it is at a great cost to himself, so that it can bring unity and show God's love to others. So with this plan in mind, he asks the Roman church to pray for him. Paul wants to invite the church in with his struggles for them to help share his worries and to cast them on God. Paul ropes the Roman church in to help him by asking them to pray to God for him. And Paul was right to ask for prayer for his time in Jerusalem. I don't know if you've read Acts but you know that this plan doesn't actually work out. He does go to Jerusalem, and there a mob tries to kill him. He's then put under Roman guard for two years, where there is also another assassination attempt on him, and he faces two different Roman governors who are indifferent to his cause before they ship him off to Rome. And on the way there, he crash lands on Malta and gets bitten by a snake. 
He does make it to Rome, but it's not how he planned. It was in chains. The book of Acts ends with Paul alive in Rome. It doesn't end with his beheading. There are two historical references outside the Bible that suggest between his first Roman imprisonment and his last, he did make it to Spain. But considering these journeys were bookended by imprisonment, I think they may not have ended how Paul had also wanted it. So what do we do with that? How do we deal with Paul's plans versus God's providence? Paul knew, even in this passage, that people only come to God because of God. The Gentiles only come to Christ because of what, is, what God is doing through Paul. God does work through people. We do need people to speak the gospel to others who haven't heard it, and we need these speakers to have a network of partners to help support them and to pray for them. But we must remember that it is God who rules over all our plans. Sometimes we may make the mistake of thinking our ministry or gospel projects are too important to fail for the kingdom. We focus on hard work and planning and execution, but forget that it's all under God. We can fail to pray and to enlist others to pray, trusting in God, that his will will be done in and through and despite our planning, trusting in him. Or as the start of Romans starts in chapter 1, the righteous will live by faith. And I think Paul knows this because he wrote it. We make plans, God rules over them, and we live in trust. So how are we to live from this passage? We're not Paul. He had a specific calling. He was the apostle to the Gentiles. That was confirmed with signs and wonders. He had plans to travel to Jerusalem and then Rome and then Spain. Should we be booking that holiday? Are we Paul in the passage? No, we're, we're probably the Gentile churches and the Roman Christians, both of which were partners with Paul in the gospel through aid and support. Paul talks about the duty he has in presenting the Gentiles an offering acceptable to God. In his immediate travels, he's been collecting money from the Gentile Christians to aid the Christians in Jerusalem. We could be like one of those Gentile churches and give aid and support to those in physical need. Paul also writes to the Roman church asking them for support to help him to preach the gospel to others. We, too, could at least be partners and supporters of those who are speaking the gospel. Paul was overseeing aid and he wanted to preach the gospel. With him at this point, it wasn't either or. It wasn't practical over spiritual. Paul wanted to do both. And at St. Matt's, this is what we try to do. It's great. We are a generous bunch. As Ina said, we gave $13,000 to help those in the Ukraine. And in the last three weeks, we've given $12,500 to those refugees who are traveling to Canada. Our biggest expenditure at St. Matt's, uh, our third biggest expenditure at St. Matt's isn't our buildings and grounds. It's not our utilities. It's giving to missionaries. 
Our budget first goes staff, we're all on one line, and then our contribution to our diocese, and then missionaries. We are bounded to give to the diocese, but we aren't under any obligation to give to missionaries. That's a maths we could get a whole new staff member, straight off the bat, if we stop giving to missionaries. That's a maths we would make a massive dent into our new building fund. If we didn't pay missionaries for the next five, six, seven years, but I don't know if I want to be in a church that made decisions like that. And I'm pretty sure Lubbock wouldn't want to either. He, after all, was on the receiving end of that exact money. He knows firsthand what it means uh, to be supported by this church. He'd probably walk if that happened. But all of this to say is giving to missionaries is right and good. It demonstrates our generosity, our unity in God's love in supporting people, to providing aid and to telling the gospel outside of our area. And you're also free to give directly to any other missionary organization. It's good that our church gives 10% of its money to missions. But the way I have looked at this is that for every $100 that I earn, if I give 10% to St. Matt's, $1 goes to overseas missions. I can and I do give more than that directly to other groups. I know in the news there's talk of inflation and rate rises, and I don't know how all that's going to pan out. But in 2008, I remember when the global financial crisis happened, someone said, here in the West, this may mean we won't eat out as much, but in the third world, it means that some people won't eat. The Ukraine used to be, the, used to give, export 20% of the world's wheat. India is the second highest producer of wheat in the world, and they have had some terrible weather, and they are not exporting any of their wheat anymore. I don't know what the flow and effect of that means, but I'm only guessing it can't be good for poorer countries. And there is also still a massive need for missionaries. Even though this letter was written 2,000 years ago and Christianity did make it to Spain, there are still places in the world that haven't heard about Jesus. I don't know if you've heard of the Joshua Project website. They list how much people in the world have access to Christians and to hear the gospel. They have some categories in ranking people groups. There's the unreached people groups of the world. And they're defined as groups that are 5% or less Christian. But there's another category called the frontier groups. And they're classified as those who are 0.1% Christian or less. Do you know how many people worldwide the Joshua Project rank as being in a frontier group? Two billion. Two billion people on this planet do not know Christ and do not have access to know Christ. These are not unsaved people. These are unreached people. They live they die without knowing a Christian, without seeing a Bible, and without hearing about Jesus. I tried to find a comparative country. West Sahara, 
depending on who you talk to, is a country of its own or is contested land in Morocco. They have a population of about 620,000 people, one and a half that of Canberra. They maybe have 180 Christians in their country. Last week, there was 220 people at this service. And this is just one service in one church in Canberra on a random Sunday. We have more Christians in this service than there are in West Sahara. Every Christmas, we talk about Advent and we look forward to Jesus' second coming, and yet one quarter of the world haven't heard about Jesus' first coming. There is power in the gospel. It changes people from death to life, and there is still a real pressing need for people to go and tell the world about Jesus. As Romans have taught us anything about salvation, it is that it is all by grace. Salvation is given by God to those he chooses to give mercy to. And this sometimes raises the conundrum about prayer. If God is all-powerful and all-knowing, why do we pray? Or if salvation is based on who God has mercy on, then why should we pray? It is because he is all-powerful and all-knowing that we should pray to him. It is because he is merciful that we should pray to him for the salvation of others. He, he is able to save. He is able to offer mercy to whoever he wants. So we should ask him. God can change people's hearts. God can change people's circumstances. It's up to him. He rules over all our plans, even when our plans don't work out, even when things we value like health and jobs and family and travel don't go to our plan. Paul writes to the Roman church to pray for him, to share in his struggles. And as I literally were typing this bit out on Monday morning, Someone on Facebook messaged me and they said, hey, mate, is there anything I can pray to you for? I don't know if I was tired or stressed out about this talk in my week ahead, but I felt deeply moved that some other saint out there was thinking about me and was asking to talk to the Father on my behalf. I was seriously moved. I felt, I felt loved and supported. And then he went and he, he typed out a prayer for me in the chat. It was really touching. And we can do that simple task for our missionaries. At St. Matt's, we are a praying people for our, for our missionaries. The monthly prayer meeting is on again tomorrow night. We dedicate time in those to pray for our missionaries that we support. You can come along and share in their concerns and their struggles. We also have our weekly Monday uh, prayer meetings. Again, that's a time for us to pray for our mission uh, here and beyond. What you can also do is in your life group, you could adopt a missionary, just one, and write them letters or emails. Let them know what you're praying for them and asking how are they going. You can even send them gifts. However, check with them first. One time, my life group did this with Lubbock when he was in Italy. I didn't know he had to pay some sort of import tax when receiving gifts, so it meant our nice little Aussie care package that we sent to him actually cost him money. That wasn't helpful, 
Don't do that. Check first. Now, before we wrap up, I want to say something else from this passage, and this may not be for everyone, but I think it would be amiss if it wasn't mentioned. There could be someone here who may well go out and be a missionary. Someone here may feel called to go overseas to tell people about Jesus. I wonder if you would think about that. After all, all missionaries came from some church somewhere else. Why wouldn't some in our service right now later go somewhere else to live amongst a different people group and tell them about Jesus? It's happened in the past. I don't know if you've heard, there's this finishing well group that started up for retired blokes. They meet fortnightly to think about their future life plans. They look, about their, they look at their skills and gifts and resources of what they have, and they try to chart a course now on how they will live. This is great. But for some of you, why wait till you retire? How might you live now? How would you live faced knowing that there is a world in need knowing who need to know Jesus? You might want to go now. You could live a life spent out for people who you do not currently know, telling them the good news about Jesus, even if it's hard, and it will be. David Platt, who once was the president of the International Mission Board in America, he said, Unreached peoples are unreached for a reason. They're hard, difficult, and dangerous to reach. All the easy ones are taken. Not all of us are poor. We may not travel to far distant places to tell people about Jesus, but as a church, we have a mission and we can partner with those who do go abroad. 2,000 years ago, Paul wanted to go to Jerusalem to give them aid and then on to Spain to preach the gospel. Today, the mission of Christ is far from complete. If you want to be part of something bigger than yourself, get involved in the church. The task of proclaiming Christ to all the world should not primarily be in the hands of mission agencies, but driven and supported by the local church. This means we are part of this calling, part of this mission that has been going on for 2,000 years, which has a global aim. St. Matt, as a church, seeks this mission. Do you? You can help support the missionaries that we are connected with. You can give and pray directly for other missionary and aid agencies. If the Great Commission is true, our plans are not too big, they are too small. So let us partner with and strengthen missionaries. May we be a generous church that cares for those in need, both physically and eternally, trusting in the power of the spoken gospel that it changes lives and trusting in our good God who rules over all our plans. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your gospel and the power it has for salvation. We pray for our missionaries, that they will feel loved and supported by us, and that they, they will think of creative ways to tell the people around them about your son, Jesus. 
Help us to be reminded about your mission. And through the strength of your spirit, help us to pray and support those out on the field. And I pray that maybe even some of us will plan to go. Amen.